In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. In the gospel this evening, we heard the Lord say to his, uh, to, the, to the people and to his disciples, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. And so he's, he's telling the people not to have an anxious mind. And if we look at the passage, that, that same passage, if we look a few verses above, the Lord tells his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. And the passage that comes, or the few verses that come right after, he says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so within just a few verses, the Lord keeps repeating the idea of not to fear, to trust in Him, not to have an anxious mind, not to worry about our lives. And many times in the Gospels, we hear the Lord repeating this. When He walks on water during the storm and the disciples are on the boat, they all are afraid. And the Lord says to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And then in another place, the Lord says again to His, to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. And so he keeps repeating this idea over and over and over in scriptures because he knows that we, although we know we should trust him, although we know he can take care of us, very often we get distracted. Our eyes, instead of being fixed on him, kind of lose focus. And then we begin to worry. We begin to have this anxious mind that he's talking about. We begin to be afraid. And so over and over, the Lord repeats this message to us, not to be worried, because in the world, we all go through many troubles and tribulations. We all get anxious about many things. We all get uneasy about certain things. We get shaken by different events in our lives, and then we lose focus. And so the Lord says again to us, do not worry, do not be afraid. But there are many voices against this uh, distrust that we should have in the Lord, voices from outside, voices from within, voices even from people around us and from the devil himself that tell us, no, you shouldn't trust him. In the Psalm, Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 11, sorry, verse 1, the psalmist says, in the Lord I put my trust, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? This passage here brings to mind the idea that he's saying, the psalmist is saying, I trust in God. Why would you say to me, flee? Why would I flee? If I'm afraid, I would flee, but I trust in God, so there's no reason for me to flee. And this is because of the voices that come, the voices that certain people tell us, you know, you've been doing such and such a thing for so long, what has it done for you? Or the devil comes and says to me, yeah, the Lord says trust, but what, where has it gotten you? Or even within me, myself, in my heart, sometimes I begin to doubt. And so we have all these voices whispering in our ears not to trust. And yet the Lord, again, over and over, he says, do not worry, do not be afraid. St. Peter, in that event that I mentioned, where the Lord walks on water and there's this storm, and uh, the Lord says to the disciples when they think it's a ghost walking towards them, and he says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Truly, St. Peter was cheerful. He was full of joy. The presence of the Lord brings joy to our lives. That's why the Lord says, be of good cheer. And when St. Peter heard this, he said, Lord, tell me to come. And so as soon as St. Peter said this, the Lord said, come. And he began walking on water. And once he began walking, it says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And so St. Peter began walking on water. And it's not because there was no storm. The storm was there before he began walking. 
But he took his eyes off of Christ. Instead of being focused on the one who said to him, Come, he took his eyes off of the one who's able to, with the power of his word, to sustain him and began to sink. And so we too, very often, we look at the Lord and we are reassured. But when we lose focus, when we are distracted like St. Peter by the boisterous winds in our lives, then we begin to sink. We begin to drown in this anxiety and this worry that overwhelms us. St. Paul, the apostle, you know, he has this thorn in the flesh. And three times he prays, Lord, take this, this thorn away from me. He prays once, prays twice, prays three times. And finally the Lord says, no. You're going to have this. I want this to be with you. And so St. Paul submits. St. Paul knows who's in control. He asks three times and he submits. He doesn't resist God's work in his life. He realizes, okay, God's want me, God wants me to suffer a little or to have this thorn in the flesh. That's fine. I will accept it. And so he has the attitude of submission to God and because he trusts him. How do we deal with different circumstances in our lives when perhaps there's a, a, a health event in our lives? Maybe I'm, I, I'm, I'm suffering from a certain sickness or a loved one suffers from a certain sickness. How do we deal with it? We may pray and we may pray many times, but do we end up submitting? Knowing that God is saying to us, you know what? No. It's better for you to remain this way, or it's better for this person to remain that way. It's for the good of the person. Trust God. He knows what is best. He's driving the car for us, not us. There's the example of Moses the prophet. The people of Egypt, the people of Israel, sorry, are leaving Egypt. And Moses has with him, you know, he gets to the Red Sea, he has with him close to 600,000 men plus women and children. So he's got perhaps three, four million people with him. He's got the responsibility of all these people. And they look behind them and they see Pharaoh and his chariots following. And the people start murmuring. These people forget what they saw. They just witnessed the 10 plagues. They just witnessed the power of God in their lives. They just witnessed God striking the firstborn of all the Egyptians and sparing their firstborn. And they forgot all that. They get to a problem. They get to a difficulty. They get to this Red Sea and they're blinded and they start murmuring and they say to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're complaining. Yet they had seen the hand of God and so had Moses. And so Moses responds wisely. Moses responds to them and says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Moses here says to them, stand still, see the salvation of God. The Lord will fight for you. And this is before Moses had spoken to God. The events just happened. They're at the Red Sea, the people are complaining, and right away he says this. God hasn't spoken to Moses with a solution yet. And right after that, after Moses has spoken, the Lord tells him to take the rod and, and we know what happens next. They cross the Red Sea and the people of Egypt all die in the Red Sea. Moses trusted. He didn't need to check with God, what are you going to do? He trusted. And he was teaching the people of Israel, these three, four million people with him, trust the Lord, see the salvation of God. 
When we have a weakness in our lives, when we have a roadblock, when we have a tribulation, a trial, an issue in our lives, do we behave or react, or at least recall how Moses reacted? Do we say to ourselves, wait and see the salvation of God, stand still, hold peace, hold, hold, hold your peace? See who will fight for you? See the God who will fight for you? Or am I shaken like the people of Israel? And start murmuring, you've taken us away to die, Lord. You've abandoned me. Another example, King David, the prophet and king. King David is a young boy. The people of Israel are all afraid of the Philistines and this giant Goliath. And David hears of this and he says, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He's saying, I know people are troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. He, why, why does he have this, this strength in him, this trust in him? He remembers the good of God in his life, what God has done previously with him. He says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. He recalls the goodness of God in his life, and he's able to be reassured by this, and he's able to reassure others. And finally, Saul brings his armor, and, and we know David refuses to put on the armor. It's too heavy for him. He couldn't walk with it. So he just takes a few stones, and he goes and encounters this giant, Goliath. And Goliath looks at him and laughs at him and mocks him. And David is not intimidated by this. David, like we said in, in Psalm 11, yes, there are voices from outside, but he puts his trust in God. And so he responds to Goliath, and he says to him, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. You come to me with all these things, these man-made things. You're humongous, yes. You have, you know, weapons to defeat me, yes. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts in whom I trust. And with one stone, he defeats his enemy. With one stone, that giant crumbles and dies. And so, where do I put my trust? The Lord again today says, do not be anxious, do not worry, do not be troubled. If you have a Goliath of a problem in your life, a problem at work, a problem at school, a fear, a huge issue, whatever it may be, do not be troubled, do not be anxious, he says. In the Psalm, Psalm 5, that we pray every morning, we say, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. When we put our trust in God, we find joy. And at the end of Psalm 2, after he says, why do the nations rage against me? And he talks about the different trials that he's encountering, he ends with, blessed are those who put their trust in him. There is joy in putting our trust in God. There's a blessedness in putting our trust in God. There's peace in putting our trust in God. And so we want to trust him. We see the importance of it. We see that there are those who've gone on before us that were able to do it. And so what is it I need to do? First, I need to understand what is to trust and if we just Google the definition or if we open up dictionary.com or Merriam-Webster online to see what it means to trust, most of them have something revolving along the, the idea of relying on someone, trusting in the reliability of someone or something. And so one definition says, reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety of a person or thing, to have confidence in such a person or a person on whom or thing on which one relies. So I trust in God, I rely on Him. 
And so the question arises, how can I rely on someone unless, number one, I know him? I must know him. I must know who this person is. I must know my God in order for me to trust him. And how do we get to know someone? I encounter somebody, I meet someone new. How do I get to know them? I begin by interacting with them. I speak to them. I raise the phone and call them. I meet up with them. I hear them out. I ask them questions. I receive answers. There's a dialogue. And so we too are given this ability to have a dialogue with God, to speak to Him and to hear Him out. The psalmist says to us in Psalm 9, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. To know His name, to know Him. We've been gifted to know the name of God. We've been gifted to be able to call upon Him, to speak to Him freely. Knowing His name, calling upon His name, it's a privilege that we now have. In the Tazbah and the Midnight Praises, the Monday Psali, there's a beautiful part in the second paragraph, very beginning of the Psali. It says, Everyone who says, My Lord Jesus, is likened to a sword casting down the enemy. To know His name and to call upon it, to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm likened to a sword casting down the enemy. And so when the enemy comes against us with troubles, with distractions, with fears, with trials, with weaknesses, with sins, we call upon His name. We call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And the psalmist here, the, the, the church here teaches us in the Tazbihah, we're likened to a sword casting down the enemy. I destroy the enemy in my life who tries to shake me with all these things, who tries to take my eyes away from God. And I refocus on His name. I refocus on the God of my salvation who is able to deliver me. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 31, he says, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. I say you are my God basically because I know you. I can say that. I can call you mine because I've gotten to know you. Like a man and his spouse, a man and a woman, you get married. You can say, she's my wife, he's my husband. And there's intimacy between you. And so there should be intimacy between me and my God. So I can say, you are my God. And say like the psalmist, I trust in you, O Lord. And so because I know you, I say you are my God. Others may not know you. And so others may be shaken by different things. Others may have tremendous fear in their lives. They don't know you. But I know you, Lord. I say you are my God. And so this knowledge of God leads to trusting in Him. To trust someone this way means I can rely on Him. In the monastery, you know, when we used to do projects, I learned very quickly the hard way that when you do projects, you got to trust the person you're, you're hiring to do a project. And so sometimes we'd hire people and we just don't know them. You, lo you hire local people and you don't know if they're trustworthy. And so very quickly I learned that, okay, I can't trust everybody because I don't know them, but there are people I can trust. And so for example, if somebody comes and we're hiring someone to do some construction or some renovations. I may not trust the person who's presenting me the contract, but I know people, experts in that field, whom I trust and I can rely on. And so I would take this and I would show it to them. Because I know them and I know they are reliable, whatever they tell me about that, I can trust. And I'll execute based on what they say.
And so how much more will our God, how much more should we trust him and rely on him? But it requires that I know him and know his ability to defend me and to take care of me. And I get to know this when I study the Bible, his word. He speaks to me. He's written me letters, precious letters. Do I pick them up to read them, to get to know what he's saying to me? I speak to him frequently when I pray and I stand up and I say my, my psalms. But more than that, when I just speak to him, prayer is not just about praying the Agbeya. Yes, it's important to pray our canon and pray the Agbeya, but to come into his presence and speak to him. Speak to him and get to know him. Get to know your God, our God. Cut your day frequently in order to speak to him. You know, a couple that's engaged or in the beginning of their marriage, what do they do? They call each other often. They text each other often throughout the day. I remember one time I had asked my brother in, in the group setting, I had asked him when he was engaged, you know, he's busy at work. He had many projects, he had many things. I asked him, while you're at work, did you text your wife? He said, yeah. I asked him how often? He said, all the time during the day. I asked him, did you like walk out and call her every so often? And he said, yeah. And so the idea that we're busy doesn't prevent us from communicating with our loved ones, even if it's a short text message, even if it's a short hello on the phone. Because we love them, we want to hear from them, we want to speak to them, they want to hear from us. And so it is with our God, if we cut our day frequently and just say short prayers, arrow prayers like the Jesus prayer, my Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or I can tweak it, my Lord Jesus Christ, guide me. My Lord Jesus Christ, help me. My Lord Jesus Christ, deliver me. I call upon his name and I make a brief request. Or you can even say, my Lord Jesus Christ, I love you. When's the last time you said, I love you to the Lord Jesus Christ? One time I asked a group of youth, when's the last time you said, I love you to the Lord Jesus? And pretty much no one raised their hands. And then I was curious, so I went to a kindergarten class the following week, and I asked them the same question. And all the kids raised their hands, and they were all excited to say, I love you to Jesus. And I asked them, how often? And the numbers varied, but all of them did it very frequently throughout the day. And so the Lord says, have the child of a heart. Go back to being like little children. Say, cut your day. And just like you call your spouse to say, I love you, cut your day to say, I love you to the Lord. And so frequently, that way when I speak to him at night, I'm speaking to somebody I know. I hear from somebody I know. And the trust in him grows. The trust in him is there. And I know he will never abandon me. St. Polycarp, one of the early martyrs of the church, he was 86 years old and the proconsul took him to kill him. And he told him, deny your God and I will spare your life. Basically, just deny him. I will let you go. You're 86 years old. And St. Polycarp responded, and he said, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Basically, St. Polycarp is saying, I've known him for 86 years. I know he's never done me any wrong, and he will never do me any wrong. So why would I deny him? Why would I blaspheme my God? It makes no sense to me. It's unthinkable. And so having known him, even the idea of martyrdom, 
or bodily persecution didn't prevent a man that old to deny his God because he knows God. And so in the face of many things, do we realize he's with us and defending us. Last week I was in one of the airports and I was going from one gate to the other and one of the pilots came and walked with me. He started chatting with me and he, and he was commenting uh, and he was saying, you must be, feel really safe. And I said, yes, but why? He said, you have double safety on you. And I said, okay. And so he told me, you're wearing your mask and plus you're a man of God. So you've got God on your side. And I said, yes, I feel safe not so much because of the mask, but because God is on my side. And so, do we have that acknowledgement? Even that pilot recognizes that we as Christians have God on our side. Do we recognize it? So number one is to know Him. To rely on Him, I need to know Him. Number two is to realize He is present. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 16, after Jacob flees from his brother, he's terrified of his brother, he's fleeing, and he has that, that vision at night, the ladder, and so on. And at the end of it, he wakes up, and it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. The Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And this applies to all of us in every place. The Lord is with us everywhere and in everything we do but perhaps we do not know it. We do not recognize it. Do we recognize that the Lord is with us? He's present to us at all times. But what is required of us to make ourselves present to Him? Do we come into His presence? For He is present. And so in every situation, we can make ourselves present. We just need to practice the presence of God. We need to spend time with Him and realize He's there and putting ourselves there. We need to include Him and involve Him in everything, every small or big thing in our lives. We can include Him in it. And when I include Him in it, and I make intentional decisions to you know, recognize that He's there, the more I do this, the more I will trust that He's there helping me, that He's there supporting me, that I have nothing to fear. Because I know Him, and now I know He's present. So a person that I know can defend me, and I know is present, then I will have nothing to fear. I will have no anxiety or no worries, as he tells us in the Gospel today. There's a story in one of the apologetic books about this young girl. <clears throat> she tries to convince her dad that God exists, and God refuses to believe that God exists. And they go at this for, for a long period of time, and then one day the girl wakes up and reads a paper that her dad left. And on the paper it said, God is nowhere, written by her dad. And she got really excited, and she called her dad, and she was so happy, and she said to her dad, thank you, dad, I love you so much. That, that, that note that you left means so much to me. And the dad was so confused. He wrote, God is nowhere. And so he asked her, what do you mean? Why, why are you so excited? What are you talking about? What did I write? And so she said to him, dad, you wrote, God is now here. If you take the word nowhere and just put the W from the H, or just put a little space, God is now here. In her mind, she always had this idea that God is here. And so when she saw these words, what she saw is this idea that truly her dad recognized what she's been recognizing. God is here. God is present. And so do we include him in, in things? Do we involve him in things? Because when we do involve him in things, we'll find that 
we recognize his presence and we find that our trust in him grows. So I can do little things. I can have triggers in my life. I go, for example, if I'm a doctor and I enter a hospital room to treat a patient, prior to entering the room, I can say, Lord, you know, be with this patient, bless this patient, heal this patient, stretch out your healing hand. And I walk out and I say, glory be to you, O Lord. Or how many times do we go through a doorway in a day? Imagine every time we used a trigger technique where I say, every time I pass through a door, I will remember God. I will say a small prayer. I will say God is present with me. So every time I pass through a door, how many times would that be in a day? But to have these triggers in our lives, I raise the phone to make a phone call. Lord, bless this call and keep gossip away from any conversation that we have or any slander or anything like that. I get in the car, Lord, bless the, the, the road and bless my journey. And so we can have triggers. And by having these triggers, we'll remember God is with us. And when we remember God is with us, simply this remembrance brings reassurance in our lives. So number one, we said to rely on Him, we need to know Him. Number two, we need to realize He is present, so make ourselves present to Him. Number three, pray, think, and then pray. And so I have a thought, I need to pause. For in Proverbs, King Solomon tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. I should not lean on my own understanding. God gave us a mind to think, He gave us logic to use, but prior to leaning on this logic or in this understanding, let me turn to him first. There's a problem before me. There's something, an issue before me. There's a decision I want to make. Let me turn to him first. Pray first. Ask him, what should I do? After you've prayed, use your logic. Think. And after you've used your logic, return to God and ask, is this truly from you? And so you've sandwiched the thought with prayer. And so I've prayed, and I thought, and I prayed. And so in case that my thought was wrong initially, or even at the end, then it could be changed because I'm submitting to the will of God. I'm saying to the Lord, whatever it is you want, Lord, you guide me. And so it's not about what I think, but what about the Lord, what the Lord thinks. In Isaiah chapter 55, he tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Nor are your ways my ways, sorry. And so my ways may be different than the Lord's ways. My thoughts may be different than the Lord's thoughts. And so in order to ensure that I'm aligning my thoughts and my ways to the Lord, let me always sandwich those thoughts that I'm getting, those solutions that I have with prayer and making sure that the Lord is a blessing, that the Lord wishes for me to do what it is I wish to do. <clears throat> and so I can turn all my worries, all my cares, small or big, into a discussion with the Lord in prayer, even small things, doesn't matter how small it is, sometimes we feel like the small things, you know, I'm not going to you know, tire God with such petty things. No, He's pleased to hear you. So tire Him with whatever it is you have on your mind or in your heart. St. Peter tells us in First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And so we need to realize that He cares for us. And if I realize He cares for me, then whatever burden I have, I cast it upon Him. A few weeks ago, I heard a sermon from a father in Egypt about His Holiness of Thrice Blessed Memory, His Holiness Pope Shenouda III. And this priest was saying he once went to His Holiness 
And he asked his holiness, how can you take all the burdens and the cares of the church and not be stressed out? What do you do? I have the cares of one church and it's a lot. You have the entire church. And so his holiness responded to him and he said to him, look, yes, there are many problems, but I pray about the matter. And I prayed about, about the matter once, twice, and a third time, just like St. Paul. After the third time, I say to him, it is no longer my problem, but yours, you handle it. And he just lets it go. He's applying that verse of St. Peter, casting all your care upon him. His holiness knew that he could cast all his care upon him, for he cares for him, for he cares for his church, he cares for all his children. And his holiness recognized that. And so I'm sure his holiness had thoughts and solutions but he would probably pray and pray and pray and sandwich those thoughts and solutions. And then he'd leave it up to God to make the decisions. And so very often we have issues. Remember to sandwich your, your solutions or your thoughts so that it's according to God's will. So number one, we said, in order to rely on him, we need to know him. Number two, I need to realize he's present. So I make myself present to him. And I can do this by using trigger techniques Number three, I may have solutions or think I have solutions to my problems, but let me sandwich these thoughts or solutions with prayer. Number four, <clears throat> the evil one often comes with the weaknesses that we encounter, whether they are sins, whether they are trials, whether they are tribulations, whether they are temptations. And he comes our way and he uses these weaknesses to convince us that we cannot trust God. If it's because of sin, he says, well, how can you stand up and pray now that you're so sinful? You think you can pray and stand up before the Lord with all the sins that you have in your lives? Or if it's a trial or a weakness, as he say, well, you've prayed about a solution and you've prayed about delivery from this trial time after time. You think the Lord will deliver you now? And he comes with all these different thoughts to prevent us from actually turning to the Lord. But the weakness or the trial or the sin can actually be a tool for us to grow closer and build our trust in God. Because when there is a problem in our lives, <clears throat> whether it's a trial, you know, if there's a trial, then it's an opportunity for me to get on my knees and pray and to beg God. If there's a sin, then I know that whatever sin it is, I cannot, of my own strength, get rid of this sin. I cannot uproot whatever it is that's in my heart unless the Lord graces me, unless the Lord gives me his strength, unless the Lord decides to do so. St. Macarius in one of his homily, in homily number three, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says something about sin. He says, when it comes to sin, it's not within you to uproot sin. What's given to you is to fight, to wrestle, to give and receive blows, but to God, is to uproot. And so whenever the Lord wills, He will uproot. But what's within our power is to fight. To even give and receive blows means I can get hit, but I keep fighting. That's what's within our power. And so when I am fighting, then I know that the only one who can deliver me, the only one that can uproot sin is God. So I beg Him and I rely on His mercy. And so I continuously rely on his mercy and I never despair for the devil of despair comes and tries to make me give up. And so the weakness itself can be an opportunity for me to grow in my trust for God. And I'll end with a last one. 
so I don't prolong. Um, always use expressions of trust and hope in your speech. Our speech sometimes impacts or very often impacts the way we think and impacts what we, we feel in our hearts. So if all my speech is negative, you know, oh, this is a disaster, uh, this is, uh, you know, horrible and everything is horrible and, and everything is pessimistic, then my heart will be gloomy and will be darkened. And I will not be able to trust God because of all the negatives. But when I speak positive, these words impact my heart. If I, even in the midst of a tribulation, I can say, Lord, I don't know what's happening. I don't see a solution. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. But I know that whatever it is you're doing is for my good. I know that there is delivery in your hands. I know there is hope. And so just using simple words of hope like this, positive words, impacts my heart and impacts my outlook on what God is able to do for me. And so it helps me grow in my trust for Him. And recalling His promises, and in my prayers, calling upon Him with these promises. For the Lord promises many things. And so if I recall His promises, Jacob, again in the Old Testament, after he flees from his brother, he spends years working for Rachel. After 20 years working for his father-in-law, he finally goes home to Esau. And he's back on his way, terrified of his brother Esau. And then Jacob, on his way, he says to God, For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob is recalling a promise. God promised him descendants as the sand of the sea. And so Jacob is coming to the Lord and saying, You said to me, Lord, that I'll have descendants. I'm afraid, I'm terrified of my brother, but you said this. And so it brings reassurance to him. When did this promise occur? 20 years back. But Jacob kept it in his mind and in his heart. And in the time of trial, in the time of fear, he called upon the Lord and said, basically, in my own words, it would be, Lord, I'm afraid, but you promised me such. You said this. And so knowing God's promises and calling upon him and saying, Lord, you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I feel all alone. I feel forsaken. Make yourself present. Lord, you said you are a father to me. I need that fatherhood in my life. Help me experience it. Lord, you said that your sins are forgiven. I have many sins in my life. Grant me the spirit of repentance and help me feel the forgiveness of sins in my life. And so on and so forth. And so calling upon him and saying, you said, is one of the, the positive things we can do, positive speech we can use, but in prayer. And just saying, you said, and knowing that God does not lie, and he promised me such things, will help me trust him more. So we said five things that can help us trust God and not to have that spirit of anxiety that he tells us not to have, not to worry as he says to us, do not worry, not to be troubled, but to rejoice for he is with us as he told St. Peter. Five things that can help us rely on him. Number one, to know him, to know him well. Number two, to practice being in his presence for he's present to us. Number three, to sandwich our thoughts or our solutions with prayer. Always pray before and after you do anything. Number four, realize that the door, the, the weaknesses or the trial that you have 
The devil is trying to use it for you to despair, but use it as a door to enter into a relationship that is full of trust. And then number five, use expressions of trust and recall his promises in your prayers. And to our God be the glory now and ever and unto the age of the ages. Amen.